Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your high-flying, octane-fueled hosts, Brian C. Wood. And with me this evening is my good friend and master of all things fast. And Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. Chad, I re-watched a thing this week. It was called Fast 9. And I thought of you the entire time while I was watching Fast 9. And I was watching magnets being used like child's play and cars being, you know, picked up by magnets from planes that are drones apparently, and bridges that don't exist, you know, being jumped over and cars swinging like Spider-Man through the air. And, you know, Tyree, uh, Tyree uh, and uh, Tyree, uh, what is it? Uh, Ludacris and Ludacris and Tyrese in space with scuba suits that are allegedly NASA approved and all of these wonderful things. And I thought about you, Jack. Um, what are your thoughts going into Fast 10 as we get this bombardment of news coming out of Big Daddy V's mouth? Yo, oh, so, okay. I, so I'll wait till we get to that part. But uh, my views of Fast 10 just in general, like, like they released another trailer this week, a, a longer trailer. And I'm staying away from all of those because I'm like, I just want to see the insanity on the biggest screen possible. I'll see it when I see it. Like, like I know there's a giant bomb rolling down Vatican Hill. That's all I need to see. I mean, it was a lot of stuff we've already seen. I'm pretty sure there's more stuff we haven't that they threw in there because it was like two and a half minutes. But um, up until the end, it's just, you know, the regular ridiculous stuff we've seen in Fast and the Furious before. Like, the stuff that I can, you know, squint and hold my breath and be like, okay, I can accept this. Um, uh, I keep forgetting uh, Rita Moreno is in this movie and they showed a lot of her in the trailer. And it's just amazing to me that I'm supposed to believe that from what I'm grasping from the trailer, I'm supposed to believe that Rita Moreno created Vin Diesel, Jordana Brewster, and John Cena. Like, all of them with the same daddy. I'm supposed to believe that. I'm just going to just leave that right where it is because that's another brand of foolishness. But... Who is nowhere? Series. Who is nowhere to be seen when her husband died in a fiery car crash and her son no like, immediately afterwards. We, I mean, we've been doing this shit for twenty years, and this is the first time we've seen hide nor hair of their mama. But whatever. Maybe, maybe it's not the mama. Maybe it's the grandma. Uh, I mean, but still, okay. I mean, granted, that's a little bit of dilution. Okay, sure, whatever. But uh, I'm just like you know, watching the trailer. I'm just like. This is Fast and the Furious is a certain level of ridiculous, and you just kind of got to accept it and go with it and just, you know, with it. But every every time we get one of these movies, they do something, and I always, and it's always this something they stick in that I'm like, man, this is bridge too far. It's just too far. I can't do this. Can't do this. We've been doing this the last three movies. Uh, the damn, uh, you know, uh, power lifted, a damn torpedo. On ice. Um, a Lamborghini the, the name, on ice. With a Lamborghini on ice, which I would have accepted that. It, but the whole, I know he's the rock, but I mean, Ben's <laughs> pressing a, 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 a moving torpedo. Um, the whole the whole magnet thing and jumping off with the mag thing, picking up the car. I'm like, just too far, too far. They did what we always said they were going to do. They brought him to space, which was completely and totally uh, no pun intended, intended, ludicrous. 
But I was, I, you know, I think it's crazy, but whatever. But now it's I've been stuck on this since they put in the first trailer. And they keep putting in trailers, and I just it, it, it's gravity does not work like this. The whole damn thing is going. It's like it's killing me. it. Every time I see it, I'm like, I only look. My physics education only goes to my senior year of high school. That's over 20 years ago. But I know the force to get through the dam takes him out over the dam and free falls. In theory, the car should like end over end and just, you know, fall to the death. Not reestablish gravity on its, like, first of all, it has to swing back into the dam. Then it has to reestablish gravity where the car can have traction like he's actually driving. So if if that were to happen, he'd have to be going so fast that he wouldn't be able to control it anyway, and he'd just die. We're talking about the same people, Chad, who drove over landmines and did a rough calculation that they had to go at least 80 miles an hour to prevent being blown up by the landmine. I mean, as dumb as that is, at least it's like, you know, you gave me a little nugget, a little nugget of maybe this could happen. There's a shot when, when he's... There's a there's a shot where he's clearly establishing his dominance on gravity on this damn damn going down because it's like he goes over and then they they have a close up on the car when it touches back down on the dam and you can clearly see that as soon as it does this is like it's saying this is Vin Diesel's car we have the gravity now and it establishes it as a road I'm like that's and so Big Daddy B. Big Daddy V is the Goldberg. He is the Goldberg of, of, of the physics. He has to go over everyone, including including the law of gravity. Yeah. So so all that to say, every 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 time these movies are there's just ridiculous. And every time they stick in something that is a bridge too far for me, but they keep going and people seem to still like it. So, you know, whatever. Uh at least Jason Momoa looks like he's having fun. Brie Larson wants to be there. It looks like, I mean, the new people want to be there and are having fun. The old people are there. They don't look like they're cashing in paychecks just yet. Uh, they look like they want to be there. So they at least have that going for it. Outside, outside of that, I, it's just a whole bunch of crazy. Yeah, that that's me. And it's like, Momoa looks different from when he was doing, you know, a, uh, uh, when he was doing a, a uh, Aquaman movie. Like, this dude just looks like he's having the time of his life on the uh, on set. And apparently from the early relax- reactions, that seems to be the case throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Watching Aquaman, there was never a point that I didn't think he was having fun. But in this, you clearly see he's having a ball. So let's uh, I want to get the numbers because that's uh, an important thing uh, to look at as we go forward. Um, so. The release date on Fast 9 was June 25th, 2021, which by the World Health Organization would put it directly in the middle of a global pandemic. Would you care to care to take a guess what the opening weekend for Fast 9 was? was I want to I want to say it was a decent opening considering um the pandemic of it all, but what like 80 Somewhere around 80? 70.1. Okay. Sorry, 70.43 million. Yeah. Okay. So I, I knew it wasn't over 100, but I knew it was like a 
decent or bigger number in the early days of the pandemic. Yeah, and it's it's just an interesting thing to me about where, where that stands. So I want to uh, pull this up here. Uh, Box Office Mojo really really would could be a whole lot easier to navigate. Uh, all right, so the seventy million the seventy million dollar opening weekend for Fast Nine uh, for Fast Nine put it even with Fast and the Furious, uh, which would have been the uh, sixth film in the uh, the uh, the seventh. Having uh, to do this in my own head now. The Fast <laughs> is Fast and the Furious, Fast Two, Too Fast, Too Furious, to Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, The Fast and the Furious, which was four. Fast Five, Fast Six, um, the uh, Fast and Furious, which would have been seven, I think, and then Fast Eight, Fast Nine, Furious Eight, Fast Nine, and then Fast Ten. Yeah, I think that's right. So it uh, it it was the seventy million was uh, was just above that. Uh, they are also I don't know if they they're doing that here where you are, but uh, they have AMC. On Blue Bonnet on uh, O'Neill has been showing each one of them um, this week um, in on the big screen for five dollars a piece. So for so what for what you can rent it for uh, on VOD, you can actually go to the theater and see it on the big screen, which is kind of cool. They might be doing it here. I you know, but I honestly, but for just... all but for all of us, that a new Fast and the Furious movie just simply means an opportunity for Vin Diesel to talk. And Vin Diesel loves to talk, unless he's Groot, of course. Um, your thoughts, sir, on this man, who keep in mind the announcement of more Fast and the Furious movies, because I want to I take everybody in a little DeLorean time machine, which, speaking of which, we'll get a new Fangled DeLorean in this movie, too. Um, like, I want to take everybody in a little bit DeLorean back to Fast 7. Um, Justin Lin is the director. Paul walker has an unfortunate car accident and dies de- you know during production and uh, i believe it was it was before right before thanksgiving right before they were supposed to go on thanksgiving break and now all of a sudden chris morgan and justin lynn and the entire crew within have to figure out what they're going to do about the film because there's some parts of it that have paul that paul walker's already shot and there's parts of it that they have he hasn't and what do they finish and how do they finish it and all the rest. And so they it takes a they take that Christmas break and they figure it out and they camera it out and get it all together and they they vowed to finish the film and they finish the film and they release it and it has the highest gross uh of any Fast and the Furious movie to that point. It takes them it's the first film to take them over a billion dollars and and you know the touching Paul Walker, I'll see you again tribute and, and all the things. In that environment. No one was certain about what was going to happen to the Fast and the Furious because no one was really sure how things were going to work without Paul Walker going. It was in that environment that immediately following the app opening weekend of Fast and the Furious 7, Universal announced 8, 9, and 10, with 10 being released the same year as the original movie was, and it was supposed to be 20 years, 10 movies, and that was supposed to be the saga. And another, just an aside, also uh, to remind folks, Indiana Jones 5 was announced on the same day in the same press release <laughs> as episodes 7, 8, and 9. We have now gotten episodes <laughs> 7, 8, and 9 
plus multiple Star Wars movies outside of that, Rogue One, Solo, and we've also gotten a Star Wars television series and several Lego Star Wars television series, all before we have gotten Indiana Jones 5. Just want to throw that out there. It has been 13 years since Disney bought Lucasfilm, 13 years since that was put into a press release, and we're just now getting around to it. So just to throw that out there. But Universal made this plan, you know, and now we're here we are on the premises of the launch of 10, which turned into 11, mainly because of the release of Infinity War and Endgame. And it was shown that you could split your epic conclusion into two parts and people would show up. But now Big Daddy V is saying that they might have a, a few changes of plans. Your your thoughts, sir, on this madman saying all these wonderful things. So I'm I'm going to steal this line from uh, another podcast, uh, Slash Film Podcast. They were talking about these comments uh, yesterday. And their basic, their basic point was, yeah, Vent can say this, but these movies keep getting more and more expensive. I mean, not just because of the outlandish things they do, but because the cast keeps growing exponentially and they know their worth, so they get paid more. So the cast is running up the, the price tag on this here movie franchise. So... From their podcast, they said the budget for Fast 10 was somewhere around $340 million. That makes this move, this movie needs to make over $900 million to, to break even. So it needs We're to be in a the billion. Avatar land. Yes, it has to it has to hit a billion. Where there's only been, as far as I remember, there's only two movies that have hit a billion since the pandemic is Spider-Man and Avatar. I think that's it. Uh, Doctor Strange came close. It was in the 900 million. So there's only three movies in the range that this movie needs to, get needs to. to hit to be profitable since um, the pandemic. By, which, by the way, um, I didn't know if you had read, but um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in two weeks has made the same amount of money domestically as Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did in its entire run. I didn't see that specifically, but that makes sense because, you know, Guardians had that um, that great hold from week one to week two which is really was really the me- it's, it really is the measuring stick of how we should judge movies for the foreseeable future from after the pandemic is how what's the drop between week one and week two uh those short drops seem to say that you know audiences are willing to come back and see this movie and they think it's a good movie whereas if they don't and, and cinema score has been a good indicator on that gotten like an a the weekend drops seem to be less as you keep going on. You have more legs. Uh, but and that that ties into fast too, because as you said, the the reactions we've gotten so far have not been the best. It has not been the kind of thing that would you think, even though it's critics, um I've seen some people that like the franchise that have said that it's not very good either. So it's not the kind of reaction that that normally predicts that this movie is going to make have legs. So saying all of that, I think there's no there's there's no way you don't get a Fast Eleven, the part or Fast Ten Part Two, whatever you want to call it. I think we're set in stone. We're locked in that. We're going to get that um, and let them. They've already they've already, they've already signed the contract with Louis, with right. Lamore to come back, and they've all and the crew all the cast already had eleven built into the contracts. Right. Place. They've already been paid for for ten and eleven, so they they're gonna make that. It's just Vin. This is Vin saying stuff 
but also like you know you 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 kind of tweeted at me with some question marks about when he said this but but here's the only reason i would believe him okay hobbs and shaw didn't work like they took chris morgan and he went off and he took the hobbs and shaw characters and he did an entire spinoff movie that is good it's not great but it's good and it made okay money um but it didn't do the gangbusters the universal wanted Fast and the Furious is one of the rarest things in Hollywood. It is an organically formed franchise for Universal. It was not built as a franchise. It was not designed as a franchise. Hell, it almost died after Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Like, if they wouldn't have done that, can't that, um, if they wouldn't have done that uh, post credit stinger with Vin Diesel agreeing to come back, like, I don't think there would have been more Fast and the Furious movies. Studios are very, very reluctant to yield major franchise and to do it without backup, like other things going on. For example, I know it's television, but look at The Walking Dead. You know, you have The Walking Dead's been off the air now for a few years, but Fear the Walking Dead's finally ending, but you've got now a Daryl spinoff and Fear City and all these other spinoff TV shows coming off of The Walking Dead to the point where the AMC app uses the term uh, Walking Dead Universe. Um they don't really have a lot of setup for spinoff movies in the, the Fast franchise, and the one that they tried didn't work. So I think that the studio would be very hesitant. And I also think another thing that would scare Universal is, honestly, the MCU. The MCU achieved the greatness of the greatness of their box office potential with two of the highest grossing movies ever made in Infinity War and Endgame. They were the culmination of 10 years of storytelling, and they were the the pinnacle of of uh, the Infinity Saga. And it has been diminishing returns ever since on every movie that Marvel's made uh, since then, with the exception of Spider-Man No Way Home, and there are reasons for that. Um, Marvel hasn't been able to replicate that success in Phase 4 and to start Phase 5, honestly. And so that scares Universal. It's like, okay, well, you know, what if we kill this thing then we're out of all this money. We don't make this money anymore. We don't have this branding that we can slap on a ride on Universal Studios Orlando. We don't have this brand name recognition, the stardom, all this. But if we keep going past a certain point, there's diminishing returns. But so we should go out on a high note. But what is that high note? Is it 10? Is it 11? Is it 12? Um, you know, then suggest that's why. Vin Diesel suggesting that there's a Fast 13 to be made, a Fast 12 to be made, and that it will be an ending trilogy and not an ending duology, um, does not surprise me. Because his framing was the studio saw the film, the studio absolutely went batshit happy over the moon for it, and wanted more. And I wholeheartedly believe corporate, a, corp, a ginormous corporation like NBC, Comcast, Universal, um, wanting as much Fast money as they can get. And so I can very easily see them talking up Vince and blowing up Vince's ego and being like, yeah, man, we don't want you to stop making these movies. We want to just keep staying in the fast business and all the things. So like financially, I can see why they wouldn't want to do it, but I can also see why they would. And so I, it, it, it makes what Vince said plausible. The other thing that makes what Vince said plausible is there's a rumor out there about a post-credit stinger that involves something that me and you both thought we would never again in the history of our lives as men ever see. And yet it is allegedly foretold to have happened. And that will be a lot of juice to add to Fast 11 or 12 with that that comeback. 
Um, so yeah, um, that that's why it was not a surprise to me. Like they, they don't want to stop printing money, and as long as the fast franchise continues to print money, you know. Remember, Feige and crew shot Infinity War and Endgame like almost back to back. They spent a lot of money on those two productions. And they had to do a whole bunch of scheduling to make all those all those get the that cast as enormous as it was had to make them you know fit. And people would have said they were crazy too that they weren't going to make their money back. And now look at where they are. So I think it's a I think it's a little bit different. Um, you didn't think the blue people would make money? Well, yeah. I, no, I did not think the blue people would make money. But the difference is. Pe- Coming out of, you know, the early screenings of the blue people, people seem to be at least, they seem to at least acknowledge they, they enjoyed it, um, that they liked most of it, even if they, nobody said they hated the story. They might have said the story was simple, um, predictable, whatever, but nobody said they hated the story. And then you add on the visual effects of it and everybody's like, you know, people at least um, enjoyed it. The That's not what we're getting from here. And I, and you know, the Fast franchise is not a critical darling. It's like critically like they they accept it, but they, they're not like enthralled this with it. This is not the high art that people are demanding the Academy recognize. Right, this, right. This so, is not Wakanda forever. <laughs> so I, it can withstand critic. Uh, uh, it can withstand tepid, critic. It can withstand a tepid response from critics because what's yeah. going to ultimately matter is butts and seats. Right. And how many butts and seats and in how many premium large format situa- uh, theaters are those butts in those seats to drive up that cost and that ticket price number so that the the bottom line for the box office grows up. right so so that so it with all that said there is a point where you ha- it has to make money like you said, like before when it was critic proof and making money that's one thing now just because of the budget it makes it so hard so hard for them to make their money back. And uh, this is a successful franchise for Universal. There's no doubting that. But if you're going to keep getting diminishing returns, because it was diminishing returns for, for nine, granted, that's the pandemic, but still, it's diminishing returns. If you get diminishing returns on this one with an even bigger price tag, like the, the choice then is, do we plop down more money for another sequel that might get us more diminishing returns, or do we say this is it? Like we understand, but this this one eleven is your swan song. We might do spinoffs or other stuff here or there, but this main story ends here because we cannot put any more money into this and lose as much as we're gonna lose. If they were at least if if it was at like a break even point of like six hundred million, seven hundred million even. I think the chances of him getting three, squeezing the the blood from this stone for two more times, I think that's more likely. A break-even point of like nine hundred million—that is, it is quite frankly irresponsible for anybody to like green like that thing. I understand why you do it in this instance because it really comes down to you have a massive cast and they're all like A-listers and they all demand a certain amount of money. So I get it, but. The, the demands on the money have gone up. Um, this is a situation where when things started, Michelle Rodriguez isn't who Michelle Rodriguez is now. Vin Diesel yep. isn't who Vin Diesel is now. Yep. You know, um, The Rock isn't in this one, but The Rock was not the megastar franchise Viagra that he is now. Um, you know, Brie Larson is Captain Marvel. 
So she's going to demand more money. Uh, Jason Momoa is Aquaman, and so he's going to demand more. You know, Kurt Russell's a legacy actor upon legacy actor. He's going to demand money. And the Eastwood kid's going to demand money because his last name is Eastwood. And, you know, Tyrese and and Ludacris are going to demand certain kinds of money. Because, again, you know, Tyrese needs more money after Morbius because that just kind of died in arrival. I found it hilarious that he brought up vampires in the last one and then did uh, Morbius. But, um, you know, like, it's like you start with the farm system and, like, you got these rookies that are playing really well on low figure deals and then their contract, their rookie contracts are up and now they got to get, want to get paid and you have to make the decision about whether or not to pay them. And if you're going to pay them for how long and they make the decision to pay them and now you're toward the back end of that deal. And now the players aren't necessarily playing to the level of the contract, but you're stuck with the contract anyway. Um, You know, you got them on the cheap and you tried to win a championship while you had it and you did, but now now you're paying the price for it a little bit. Right. Um, but still, that being said, man, what we what we are looking at and what we're talking about is just in terms of box office and box office success and failure. They're looking at merchandising rights, theme park rides, uh, cereals, you know, candy bars, you know, all kinds of merchandising rights. Now, granted, Zaslav would have never like would have personally choked Vin Diesel out himself if Vin Diesel had come with this kind of proposal to Warner Brothers. But like Universal is like, this is our thing. This is our guy. This is our franchise. It's their Star Wars. And they can make a whole bunch of money off of merchandising from it. So even if they don't get to that magic number of 900 on box office alone, they'll get to a number that can at least take care of their back-end, deal, back-end deals. And, you know, the merchandising tie-ins will help cover some costs too. So, like, I just, I just don't... I don't know from a, from a public relations perspective what good it does for that man who has squeezed three Reddick movies out of this, by the way, um, to go out and publicly talk about it. You know, this man has gotten two fat, two triple X movies and three Chronicles of Reddick movies out of the studio for for doing Fast and Furious. So I don't know what it behooves him to go out and say, yeah, the studio want, loves it and wants one more. If the, if the studio uh, they're they're dumb enough to say yes, because at this point, I think it's like financially. At this point, you have think... to see tracking numbers. At this point, you would have to see out, you know, outline projected numbers that would put you in a comfortable position to make that assertion. Not just about, you know, some some critic having some uh some studio member having a screening at his house, at Vin Diesel's house, and everybody loved, loved telling Vin how great the film is. They would have had to have actually seen tracking that would make them comfortable enough that it's going to be a bigger opening than Guardians and that they'll have longer legs and that they'll make the money back for them to say, yeah, let's talk about number thir- number 12. Yeah, I guess, man. Uh, I mean, I get it. I get it. But I just have a hard time. It, it, I mean, I don't think you need to. I think that, you know, I don't even think you need 11. But if you're if you're going to do a trilogy, you need to think of 9, 10, and 11 as a trilogy because that's essentially how they were announced. They were announced 8, 9, and 10. And you said the story was too big for 10. And so you moved it from 10 to 11 and 10 and 11. And then, you know, the pandemic kind of shifted some things around. Otherwise, 10 would have been released, you know, in 2021, which would have been the the 10 year, 20 year anniversary of Fast and the Furious 1. And so, like, you know, it, it, it's for me, it's very much like, you know, tell the story you're going to tell in 9, 10 and 11. 
let the studio make decisions on on spinoffs from there and and just enjoy the ride because all these movies are are the the transformers of the modern age they are crazy batshit off the wall ridiculous fun and they don't make these kind of popcorn movies for the summer anymore um and so this is the fastest the last vestige of it it has an audience we'll see how well that audience turns out here next week right audience is gonna tell the tale you know what the audience will tell the tale on who james gunn selects as superman your thoughts sir on the short list being floated about during a writer's strike uh, of who might play Lex Luthor, uh, Clark Kent, and Lois Lane. All right. So uh, I'm, I was honestly surprised that we got this list right now. Uh, James Gunn has been vocal in saying that, you know, he was doing like they were in the casting process. They were just starting uh, right when he was doing his Guardians duty. So once he was done with that, he was going to really buckle down and get into casting for Superman Legacy. Uh, per which my account. Which has a 2025 release date, right? Uh, what's this year? Yes, because they start shooting in January. So yes, 2025. Um, so by my account, um, his Guardian's duties, probably like he's still, he's still been promoting it on Twitter up in, I mean, still as of like right now, there's still tweets of him, uh, Sending out stuff about Guardians, but his official like yeah, I didn't realize those were the kids. I didn't realize the kids in the the kids on the ship in were their kid were the cast. Oh, I didn't know that, but that kind of makes sense because I know the the kids in Thor: Love and Thunder they weren't the cast kids, um, and actually the monsters that they fought were actually monsters created by those kids that they translated the screen for Thor: Love and Thunder. That's not here nor there, but. That, that's it seems to be a cool little trend with Marvel that they use uh the cast kids. That that's fun. They got to be in a movie and get all make up up and all that stuff. But anyway, uh yeah, guns responsibilities for promoting Guardians like officially, like physically, probably would have ended last weekend. And this dropped on um Sunday. Like yeah, Sunday in the middle of the day. Like we had we had need to have actuals. Guardians second weekend in this drop, so I was really surprised by that. Um, being that it's a Hollywood reporter who has uh, no disrespect to Boris Kitt because he's done a lot of good work. Typically, when I see something from Warner Brothers and it's a Hollywood reporter, it's kind of like somebody is just from Warner's is treating them as their press arm and telling them stuff. So I do find this list to be credible. Um, honestly, like for the 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 people up for Superman. I've not seen any of them in anything. The only one I'm familiar with is uh, the guy that seems to be the front runner as of right now. Uh, David, I think it's Corson Wet is his name. Um, and the only reason I know who he is is because for years when we thought Havel, Cavill was done and they were going to do a new Superman, everybody would always bring him up as the person that should be the next Superman. He's even talked about wanting to play Superman in the past. It's a role that he really wants to do. So, and he seems to be the front runner. So he's the only one I'm familiar with. Uh, the other people, uh, Jacob Ellery, LRD, he's from uh, Euphoria. I've never watched that. Um, and then the two other guys mainly listed was, uh, they're both British actors, I think, uh, Tom Brittany and Andrew Richardson. Um, I say the two other guys when 
there might be a third guy because it's kind of confusing with um dang uh, what is his name? It's oh uh Nicholas Hope. Nicholas Hope from the X-Men movies. Uh he's in Mad Max. He's in the latest thing, I think it's the menu. You know who Nicholas Holt is. He, apparently he was up to be uh Batman for Matt Reeves. Uh the the reports have said he is he seems to be pretty much the choice to play Lex Luthor, but that he might also still be up for the role of Superman itself. So that's uh a little confusing. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't be wouldn't be uh, too too far afield. Um, you know, he has franchise experience. He's a wonderful actor, uh, but also we have this history of guys like, you know, um, Tom Hiddleston auditioning for Thor and then ending up getting Loki and, you know, that that working out. So, right. And, you know, all James going to said about, you know, we all said he's going with a younger Superman. All James has said is that officially, I think in one of his tweets, he said uh, Superman will be younger than 40. I think that's all he said. So it leaves that up to interpretation. Uh, most people are thinking late 20s, early 30s. I think most of these guys are late 20s. Uh, Corson Wood is 28. I think Nicholas Holt is in his early 30s. He's 32. Uh, 32, okay. Um, because again, I, would, I know him again, I know him from Skins, which was ages and blows ago. So, yeah. I would prefer him not to be Superman. Uh, I but I no. just based on just based on what he did as Tony in Skins. And what he's done in several of the villainous uh, dramatic roles that he's had, that dude should be the best. There's, there's nothing about that him scream Superman. Even, even his complex take on Beast, which was granted a lot closer to Xavier mm-hmm. than he is in the in the two thousands movies, but um, he there's a twisted there's a guilt and a, in a in a duality there within his interpretation of Beast that's more complex than I think most actors would have done with the blue dude. Um, so I just, yeah, that, that, that dude could, could really do a great Lex Luthor, but he doesn't, doesn't need to be Superman, doesn't give off that Superman aura. But then again, I don't think you, you know, as our good friend, um, as our good friend Jim Vavita pointed out on Twitter last week, the only thing that the entertainment community knew of a guy named Hugh Jackman in 1998 was uh, a, an interpretation of Oklahoma, yeah. you know. So you know, just because you 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 don't have experience doesn't mean you can't go on to be a defining presence on screen. And but I I would much rather hope be Luther for much of the reasons you said. I uh, I, I like the fact that they will be closer in age, but Lex will be a little older, and I think Nick. Nicholas Hope can uh can pull off whatever version of Lex uh gun is gunning for, uh for lack of a better term. Uh for the for actual Superman himself, you know, everyone that we've everyone that we've had has always been what we consider an unknown. So these all kind of fit that profile. Uh Corson Wet, he was just in uh he was in uh, he was in Pearl with Mia Goth. So he he's got some skins on the wall. I, I would think he's got more skins than uh maybe not more than probably akin to Henry Cavill, actually. Because Cavill has some movie credits. He he had a starring movie role, at least one. Uh he was known. So he wasn't a complete unknown, but Superman you know, vaulted him to uh, a higher name recognition. So 
out of this list, I would guess I would go with Corson Wentz just because he's you know, he's the only one I've known. Uh, what's I guess I don't want to say more important to me or just as important is the the list for Lois Lane. Um, before I go to the list, I will say uh, we still don't know who we're going to end up with. It could be nobody on this list of the characters. I was hoping that uh, that Lois would be that they would go with somebody of color for Lois or make Lois a, a mixed background. Uh, much like the the new Superman cartoon that's coming on Cartoon Network, she is actually mixed. She is Asian and white in that one. Uh, I think, and I think, for Lois, I think that's you could have easily done that because Lois's background is that she's an army brat. Her her dad is a military man, so it's quite easy. There are lots of people in the military that go overseas, and wherever they're at, they end up finding a spouse there and having kids and having mixed heritage kids. And I think that's an easy explanation. Stop the internet from burning to the ground by racist. Oh yeah, I know that, but you know, um, because we're not trying to get explicit rating here, screw them. I don't care what they think. I think it was just a good shot to, to do it. And if you're going to go with, with a a diverse casting of a character, a diverse recasting of a character, I think that that would be a good place to go. And, and Lois is, I mean, People are going to see her as like the second character, but she probably she's probably going to be closer to a co-lead for this. Lois is the second most important character and is not that far behind Superman in the whole mythos. So having someone of that importance. See Amy Adams, who is every bit as integral to all of the Snyderverse movies as Henry Cavill. Yeah, Lois, Lois has developed, particularly in the last like, 30 years, she's not just a damsel. She is more like his partner. Um, you know, in the comics, they've been married and and whatnot, but really they've been partnered up as like reporters. And even though they're rivals, they team with each other to help solve things. So she 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 has a very specific place in the lore. And having somebody with that history and that importance be somebody of color. I thought that was a an opportunity. With this list, it would look like a missed opportunity. I don't begrudge any of these actresses. I'm sure any of them would do a good job. It was just what I wanted to see, but I'm I'm fine but going along with whatever we get. So with that said, uh the list for Lois is uh Emma Mackey, who is from the Netflix series Sex Education. Uh She's gonna be. She's also going to be in Barbie this year, so that's a Warner Brothers movie that might, you know, have some sway. Uh, Rachel Brosnahan, she is the star of the marvelous Miss Maisel. Um, Phoebe Benavar from Bridgerton and Samara Weaving, who was in Scream Six. Um, they all have more of a track record than our list for Superman for the most part. Sam Weaving, as in, as I know, in, Sam- uh... Samara Weaving. Not, not Sam, Samara. Is it uh, that that Sigourney Weaver's daughter? Is that the uh, one from uh, Ready or Not? Let me see. Maybe so. That might that should be something I should know, but I didn't know because uh, she's only she she's in Scream, and you know I ain't got nothing for that. She is Australian. Uh, no, I don't think she's. I don't think she's any relation to Sigourney Weaver. Okay. She is. She's related to Hugo Weaving. Uh, that's her that's, uncle. That's, yeah, yeah. I knew there was uh, some kind of. And I think at least she's thirty-one, 
Um, I think Rachel Brosnan is probably the oldest of the bunch. She's in her mid-30s, maybe. But I think they're going to go... The The trend has been... She's 32. Oh, she's younger than I thought. But the trend has been for Lois to be played or and or represented by an actress that's older than the Superman yeah. actor. Yeah, she. Uh, that's her. She was she was the lead in Ready or Not. Okay. Okay. So Emmy. She's uh, she's thirty one years old. Her uh, her father is Simon Weaving. Um, the uh, her credits include Ready or Not, uh, the Babysitter remake in twenty seventeen, uh, Scream Six, uh, the Babysitter, Killer Queen, which is the follow up to the remake. She is also she was also in uh, the movie that had the. Uh, Elephant's Anus, uh, Babylon. Well, we got two of the actresses are over 30. Two of them are under uh, under 30, 27 and 28, 31 and 32. So, uh, I, yeah, yeah if, I, if, it being, if it ends up being her, she is a strong female lead in every single performance that she gives. She is not a, you know, a damsel in distress actress, nor is she a demure, defer, uh, as an actress, every role she plays, she is a tough SOB. Like she is, she is the alpha dog. She, she is the lead, and uh, and I think that would be an interesting, a headstrong Lois Lane. Um, we got some of that with, uh, we got some of that with Amy Adams. I think we could get more of it with someone like her. Yeah, I think we'll get more of the headstrong Lois. I like seeing the headstrong Lois. Um, I'm interested in how they're going to play that relationship because you know, in Man of Steel. Once she finds out who he is, there is kind of that partnership with them. She does kind of help him out. Uh, and I, I, I like that. But with this being a younger Superman early in his career, does she know that he's Superman yet? Is she trying to figure it out? Is she even worried about it? Uh, and how do they how do they act? It's, I would hope that she's not fawning over Superman and ignoring Clark. I would hope it would be um, more like attracted to both of them if they're going that right route. It, I don't know. I have I no idea see, what James wants to do. Yeah, I can't. I can't see James Gunn focusing heavily on the romantic relationship. I can't. I can't see that being something that he that he he really focuses on, unless he does it in the antagonistic way that he did with uh, Peter and Gamora. Um, but I mean, it, it. I don't think he sets out to make a romantic comedy. I think he sets out to make a superhero movie in the classical sense of of upholding the duty, honor, and loyalty of the character. And I think that's what's important to James. I think James feels like that version of the character hasn't been seen on a, on a movie screen since Donner. And I think that that's what he wants to bring back. Um, I'd argue that Brandon Roth did an okay job at the interpretation of, of, um, of Hart that he's given. And I think that that movie is trying to do some Donner-esque things. I just think it fails in certain regards. But like I very much get the sense and everything that James does is that he's he's holding up that Silver Age super, Superman and that's where he wants to go. Uh, you said Silver Age Superman now have to grow. I don't want. Okay, I me I don't want a Silver Age Superman. Uh, kind of funny you say that because I had this incredibly long, like stupid long tweet thread earlier this morning about this very subject about me not wanting a Silver Age Superman. Because to me, um, so Silver Age Superman is the whole the 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 question that Kill Bill poses and Kill and Bill poses and Kill Bill too. You know which one's the real identity, Clark or 
or Superman. And he goes on his whole rant about how Superman is the real person and Clark is just a disguise. And from the moment he said that, I hated it because that's not how I ever saw Superman. But that is the Silver Age Superman. That is the Superman that Christopher Reeve played, which he did a great job of it. I don't ever want that again. Never, never, never. Ever want super like Superman as the main identity? I never, ever want it again. I think it has to be Clark as the main identity and Superman is what he does because that's the way you make Superman more interesting. I want the compassion and the goodness of that Silver Age Superman, but in modern Superman, uh, which is what I kind of I kind of think James is going to go for. Um, it's, it, I mean, I do get worried because he's referencing uh, All-Star Superman, which is like the ultimate send-up to Silver Age Superman. It's a great Superman story, but it's also very, very Silver Age. Um, and, you know, referencing Christopher Reeve, again, all Silver Age, but if you're if you want that feel of a Superman, but can make it into modern Superman where he is Clark and does stuff as Superman, I think that's your winning ticket. Uh, well, Clark, Clark as an identity and as an entire character unto himself is the way to bring narrative complexity to the character. Because otherwise, he's just truth, justice in the American way. And the guy who's, you know, helping uh, Lucy off the ledge of the apartment building or you know, you know, picking up a plane and landing it safely and, you know, helping cats, you know, that get out of trees and, you know, turning the world backwards to save his girlfriend. And that though, that's who that guy is. He is the truth, justice in the American way. He is the unstoppable. He is the bet. He is the, the epitome of American idealism. He is the epitome of the best of us and what we should aspire to be and what we want to be. And all of those things. And that is a dull character. And yeah, I, without without Clark, without the frailty, without the humanity, you just have Jesus. <laughs> that that is right. I'm I'm laughing because also in that, that tweet thread, I I broke down how I actually came to realize the difference in silver and modern age Superman. And it's in a um it's in a novel called Superman Miracle Monday, um, which Miracle Monday is the third Monday in May, which was yesterday. I, I missed it, but per that book, Miracle Monday is the third Monday in May, and it's because um, in that book, Superman beats the devil. That is what happened. So when you said he's Jesus, that's why I started to laugh, because that is what brought me to all of this. That That, that is the way that they have depicted that that they've depicted him across different points in time. And without the narrative, without the humanity, it, it's just, it, it's just a boring character. And I can't see James resorting to the one note boring character. Right. And the, the, even with the things that get me concerned because of, you know, the things he's sort cited before, when he described the story and how, what made it click for him was it was his struggle between basically his humanity and his Kryptonian heritage. And I don't think you can have that without it being Clark as the person, as opposed to Superman pretending to be a no, person. No, because otherwise it's just a dude in a red cape hanging out in the in the Fortress of Solitude, hoping that Lois Lane will drop by so they can do the dirty. I mean, <laughs> you know? Like even, like, even in that book, he doesn't go to the Fortress of Solitude. He, he has an apartment as Clark, but he's sitting there in the apartment 
like as Clark, but he's only he's thinking of like his Clark things as like tasks to do while trying to figure out like Superman stuff. Appearances like, to keep up. Yeah, it's like it's very clear that Clark is just a thing he does, but he is actually Superman. All right. And I think it'll be a good list. And I think it'll be an interesting casting choice that will light the internet on fire whenever we actually get it, because that's how these things work. No one ever actually likes the casting announcement when it's actually when it actually comes out. People need to get over themselves with casting. Uh, most casting actually works out. There's very few things I would say is um, like it has been horrendous casting. Uh, now, I did think like, you know, Kate Bosworth in that in Superman Returns, I thought that was atrocious from the start. Nothing against her. It's just the fact that hey, she got she, married this weekend. She did? Yeah, so her and Justin Long. Oh, okay, okay. See, see Kate Bosworth now being cast as Lois Lane then would have worked, but then she was like, she was like 23, and he cast her to play like 33-year-old Lois. Not just, and not just 33-year-old Lois, 33-year-old almost married with a five-year-old Lois, and Kate Bosworth looks like she stepped right out of freaking high school prom. Well, this is where we insert the uh, Brian Singer liked him young joke. I was trying to figure out how to work that in, but being that she is not really his type, I didn't know how to land that plane. How to land the plane. See, see you just brought it, <laughs> brought it all the way around to the baseball field, Chad. All right, Chad. So, so here's how, how I want to finish the episode. We talked uh, the first half of this episode about the Fast and the Furious and we talked about box office. So um, while Super Mario Brothers continues to dominate the box office and make Avatar money, which is insane, and Guardians had a 50% hold, 53% hold from one week to the other, which is basically unheard of, aided greatly by the fact that it stayed on premium live, on uh, premium large format screens for another week. You know, not a whole lot of things get two weeks to breathe in IMAX these days. Um, so that definitely helped. I wanted to give you a range for the opening weekend for the Fast and the Furious 10. And I want you to put the numbers somewhere between. I want you to play the little game with a little yodeling man going up and up and up on the little <laughs> slope. Um, we're going to price is right this. All right. We're going we're gonna to price is right this. Okay. So I want you to give me a number between 86 million and 147 million that you think this movie this this opening weekend will be domestically not internationally and domestically combined just domestically just domestically between, between 86 and 147 i'm hitting the button before the yola even goes off the goes up any staying right there stopping right there so you think the actual retail price on this is 86 million i would probably go a little lower but yeah i'll stick with 86 okay um I'm going to go with $113 million because Guardians just opened up with, what, 110 Yes. So, yeah, I think it does a little bit more than Guardians. I think it, but that would be the second highest grossing opening weekend of the, any Fast movie, period, and would be a significant increase from the $70 million opening weekend uh, in 2021. So, I mean, it's it's possible because people like this franchise and, Nine didn't get to play in front of larger audiences because of COVID. So maybe people come back out for that. But And I believe the intentional leak of that post-credit sting is also a factor. I mean, it, will, will regular audiences even know about that? I, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I know, know we know. I think, well, the, the rumors, once the rumors get circulated around with that name, 
attached to the Fast franchise after what happened and after the beef and everything. I still think there will be a large number of people who show up Thursday night to our to my screening and are, you know, oh shit, and you know, and gonna be shocked and surprised. But I think that his name being rumored about with the return to the Fast franchise would help. You know, it, it's kind of like the Superman and Black Adam thing. Okay, <laughs> you know, if if we rumor and then we put stills out of Henry Cavill in this movie, hopefully it will help the box office. Um, yeah, but how that turn off of Black Adam? Well, I mean, Black Adam had a few thousand things wrong with it, along with uh, along with Shazam, apparently, because those two <laughs> those two movies got punted on back to back. So um, this is your reminder that HBO becomes H- HBO Max becomes Max at the end of the month. Um, oh no! Like I think a week from today. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, your thoughts? You said eighty six. I'm gonna go yeah. hundred. I'm gonna go one hundred and ten. We'll we'll see. I just. I just think that this thing is just going to be a whole bunch of fun. And that's what it has looked like in all of the trailers. And I think that's what we're going to get. And I think people are going to see it. And I think they're going to tell their friends that it's uh, another episode in a soap opera that, you know, one of the things I've discovered in the, you know, watching of these films is, you know, people bitch about Marvel and about how Marvel, you know, has a formula. We, they, they don't need a director. Like it is, it is Vin Diesel driven, literally. Post post Paul Walker's death, it is literally a Ben Diesel fueled franchise. He is the man who makes all the decisions on all the set pieces and all the directors. So it doesn't matter whether it's Jared, Justin Lin, whether it's uh, whether it's Justin Lin, F. Gary Gray, uh, just uh, James Wan, uh, Louis Lamore. It doesn't matter who the director is. It, it we are now executing Ben Diesel's vision, and we are just living in it. And that combined with the sub opera aspect of it, it literally is an episodic thing. And if this episode is good and gives people the crazy balls to the wall action that it's promised, and all the early reactions say that it is completely nuts and balls to the walls, uh, uh, then I think it'll be successful. Because you know, one of the things you have to remember and understand about Fast Nine is that it's really its structure is completely different from any other Fast movie. It has way more flashbacks than any other. It's literally the Godfather Part Two. It's telling two totally separate stories between the past and the present. Like the story of the past is informing the present, but like they're literally telling two stories in the same movie: young Dom and young John Cena, young Dom and young John Cena, and present situation. And you're intercutting between the two a lot, and that's a narrative structure that none of the other Fast movies use. Um, and, and there are some dark moments down there. I mean, like literally Vin's floating in wet for drive for like 15 minutes while he has an extended trip down memory lane. Like, you know, and yet, you know, as different as it is and unique as it is, I feel like we're going to, we're going to get more in line with fast five and six and seven and, and crazy, uh, you know, spot fest. And I think people are going to love it. And I think Jason Moe is going to have a fun time and, you know, when there are spots and people who are doing the spots enjoy the spots, things get things get good. Well, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think your number is plausible, but I don't think it's likely. Do you have any idea how quick Universal is going to pick up the phone to Vin if they top 100 million opening a weekend? I mean, would I be surprised? No. Well, would I tell them they should do it? Uh, I would say you might want to wait. I would say wait till the end of the end of the run, see what the full total is, and go from there. Because you're you've already paid for eleven, you're gonna get eleven. Yeah. But but any any decisions past that, just wait. 
uh, wait for the for August and wait for the full full run and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And that'll about do it for this week's episode of the Movies on the Brain podcast. Uh, you can, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At the Mets Theory. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening. And all hail, Marcin and Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs>